Thank you for tuning in today. My name is Frankie Mazapika. The title of my message is When Mercy and Grace Meet. I'll tell you where I'm getting this message out of. It's in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Jesus, I'm sorry, not Jesus, David, huge contrast, especially for this story. But David is, is standing at the top of Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem is a city built like a cone. Um, and, and David lived, King David lived at the top of the city. And he decided that he wasn't going to go to war. Instead, he was going to stay home. And he walked out onto his patio. And he was just looking at the city. And because he was at the top and the city's built like a cone, he can look down and he can see other houses. And in those days, um, when people bathed and showered... Uh, it was outside, and some of them had a, a porte-cache, and, and others didn't. On this particular day, he looked down, and he saw a lady bathing. She had no porte-cache, and he was watching the entire process and fell in love with her, or fell in lust with her, I should say. And so while all of his soldiers were off to war, including her husband, her name was Bathsheba, including her husband was off to war, He beckoned her to come up to his palace. He slept with her and she became pregnant. Upon hearing the news that she was pregnant, he sent word to his commanding officer to put her husband at the front of the line to make sure that he would die in battle. And then he took Bathsheba to himself. It was interesting because... David already had a lot of wives. Now, for those of you that says, that sounds good and that sounds fun, keep in mind, the more wives you have, the more mother-in-laws you have. (laughs) I'm just saying, just keep that in mind. Um, Now, getting back, as I digress again, um, so he he says, I I want you to be my wife. And all of this was done in secret. And now, this is where we're going to get our text. In the very next chapter, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the first seven verses sound something like this. And so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David... To tell him this story, there were two men, one was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing except for one sheep, one lamb that he bought. That lamb he raised himself and the lamb grew With his children. The lamb ate from his own plate. And drank from his own cup. He loved this lamb. And one day. There was a visitor. That came to the rich man's house. But rather than killing one of his own animals. One of his own from the flock or the herd. He took the lamb from the poor man and killed it and presented it to his guests. 
Now, when David heard this story, he said this, as sure as the Lord lives, he vowed. Any man who does anything like that shall die. And he shall repay four lambs for the one lamb that he stole. And then Nathan the prophet looked at him and said, you are that man. The Lord God of Israel anointed you to be the king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. Now in verse 12, Nathan says this, what you have done in secret, the Lord will do for you openly in front of all of Israel. And then later on in the chapter, I believe it's verse 18, it says that seven days after Bathsheba bore her son, the baby died. Now put yourself in David's position. Imagine what he is feeling. His entire world is crumbling right beneath his feet. He's humiliated, he's embarrassed, and he feels as though God is against him. He's shameful, he's embarrassed. Everything in his life is being rocked. What I want to spend time on this morning is what David wrote in his journal at that time. So for the remainder of this service, I'm going to cover three things that he said. Two of them are in Psalms 51. One of them is in Psalms 51.10, then Psalms 51.17, and the third one is in another chapter. It's Psalms 103, uh, sorry, 130 verse 7. So let's walk through his thoughts, and I believe that we'll all glean something from it. The first thing that he says in Psalms 51.10 is he says this, Create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within. He had come to the place in his life where he realized that although I love you, my flesh and my body keeps failing me. I keep doing, just like what Paul said later on, I keep doing the things I don't want to do. Will you please create in me a pure heart? I cannot do this myself. I cannot. Will you please create in me a pure heart? I hope that that encourages you right there. For every single one of us who look in the mirror and just go, I don't pray as much as I used to. Uh, I, I say things I should not say. And I'm not going to wave at anybody in an aggressive manner in the car again. I'm not going to, God, help me. The pressure is not on you to be better. The pressure is on you to look to the person who can make you better. Everything depends on who you depend on. If you are depending on yourself to progressively make yourself better, you will always be disappointed. 
becoming righteous and holy and walking with the Lord and knowing His ways and hearing His voice, that is not something that you can control like you turn up the volume in your car. You cannot make that happen. You can try to make it happen. You can try to make your heart more sensitive and say, be good, be good, be good, be good, be good. And and then you stop kicking yourself. You cannot do it. The enemy wants to come along and says, look at you, look at you, look at you. Just know you cannot do this on your own. That's why he said, create in me a pure heart. Then what's wonderful about God is that he sends angels out of his presence to the earth to create, Ezekiel 36, 26, I will create in you a pure heart. Watch this. I was in Costa Rica a few weeks ago and my family and I were going up this waterfall. And when I say I'm going up the waterfall, we are walking on the rocks. I don't know, I don't know what we ate for breakfast to make us go crazy, but we're going up the rocks. We could have very easily just taken a pathway up. In fact, there were stairs over there. But no, Team Mazapika wants to go up the rocks. Why? Because other people went up the rocks, so we're going to go up the rocks. So we're going up the rocks while the waterfall is coming down. It's hitting rocks, splashing on the rocks that we're trying to climb up. Those rocks are so slippery. One slip, boom, 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 down the rocks. Bye-bye, I'm flying with cherubims. Beep, 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 I'm gone. As I'm going up, I'm holding my seven-year-old daughter's hand. She's scared. I'm pretending like I'm not scared. We're going up by the rock one at a time. All of a sudden, I look up, and there's a Tico smiling at me. Now, uh, in Costa Rica, they call themselves Ticos and Ticas. And so I look up, and this young man, he's smiling at me. He comes running down the rocks barefoot. And I'm looking at him. He grabs my daughter, which all of us who are parents, (laughs) we love our kids more than we love ourselves, right? If you're with me, say yes. He goes, uh, he grabs my daughter, throws her over his own shoulder, and starts running up the, the waterfall. Just before I said, hey, get back here, I thought to myself, She's safer on his shoulders than she is in my hand. This Tico comes running down, saves her, and gives me an opportunity to find my swords. I want you to know, it does not matter how much I concentrated. I cannot do what that Tico's been doing his entire life. I can concentrate, I can try, I can stare at the rocks, I can squeeze the rocks, I can't do what he did. The reality of the matter is, is that that Tico came down just in the nick of time, and I owe him my life. Just Isaiah was standing in the presence of God, he was fully aware of his sins and he was feeling guilty. All of a sudden an angel came flying down in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 6, he comes flying down with a hot 
coal he had taken off the altar of the Lord with a pair of tongs. He touched his lips and said, See, I have touched your lips with this coal. All of your guilt has been removed and your sins have been forgiven. All of the guilt. Sometimes God forgives us and we don't forgive ourselves. He goes, all the guilt is gone. In a moment, all the guilt is gone. What happened in the same way that Tico came down and changed everything? In a second, this angel comes, comes down to Isaiah and takes all the guilt and all the shame away in a moment. And that's what David was asking. He goes, can you just create in me a pure heart? Because I cannot do it myself. You saw what I just did. Then he says this in verse 17, seven verses later, he says this, he goes, you do not desire any other sacrifice except for a broken spirit, for you will not reject a broken spirit and a repentant heart. Know this. That when we make a mistake, I didn't say if because I'm older than 13 and I understand now. It's just it's what happens. When we make a mistake, the Lord does not want you to stick your head in a door and go bam, bam, bam. He does not want you to punish yourself. He only wants a repentant heart. A repentant heart. That's all he wants. The moment you have a repentant heart, everything changes. Everything changes. Have you ever noticed that you can water your grass for 12 days straight and see minimal growth? You can hold a water hose on top of a plant outside for an hour. Almost kill the thing. Walk away, barely see any growth. But if it rains, just for a couple hours, one hour, flowers everywhere, weeds everywhere, grass everywhere, all the grass. What? How in the world? Just one little drop of rain outweighs a gallon of water. How is that? Well, those of you who are really smart... You're thinking to yourself, uh, Frankie, it's treated water. Um, you're thinking to yourself, there's chlorine in that water. There's, there's salts in that water. There, it's been treated so that when people drink it, it's safe. Hmm. Okay. Touche. However, let's keep this one thing in mind. One drop from the heavens causes more life than gallons of water that we've been doctoring. Gallons. In a moment, everything changes. But all of this is started by a repentant heart of saying, God, I want you to help me. I am sorry. There are certain magic words in any language. For instance, I'm sorry in English is ma their magic words. Lo siento in Spanish. Magic words. Anytime you say, 
I'm sorry. They're magic words. If I do something hypothetically that my wife is disappointed with, hypothetically, when I say I'm sorry and mean it without putting a but at the end, I'm sorry, but that messes everything up. But if I say I'm sorry, those are magic words. Please is another magic word. Por favor. I'm showing off. Am I doing good? I only know four words, so I'm about to run out. Magic words. Why do they mean so much to you? Because they mean so much to your father. When you say, I'm sorry, everything in a moment changes. But I want to spend a little bit of time on this next verse. Psalms 130 verse 7. It says this, he, David had already gone through hell and back. And now he's talking to Israel. He's writing a letter to Israel. He's already out of the Bathsheba stage. He's already out of that. And now he's writing a letter to Israel because Israel is in, in, is in a state of need. His people, it's kind of like our president telling us, hey, I know things are hard. He's writing a letter to us. It's like a state of the union. And so David writes, knowing all that God has forgiven him for, he writes these words. Psalms 130 verse 7. Keep hoping. Keep trusting. Keep waiting. For our God is trustworthy, kind, and forgiven. And... He has 1,000 ways to set you free. 1,000 ways to set you free. Whatever your need is right now, whatever your state is right now, know this. He's trustworthy. He's kind. He's kind. Whatever your state is, remember that you're looking at a person who is more kind. His kindness exceeds anything that you can understand. He's kind and he's forgiving. And you might be able to think of one way your life could change. He has a thousand ways to change everything in your life. So if you put those three verses together, number one, he's saying, I'm looking to you to create in me a pure life. He's looking at him and he's saying, my life, my life, I am sorry for all that I've done. And now on the back end, he's saying this, wow, I've just gone through hell and back. Has anyone gone through hell and back a few times? You actually know your way around. Right? You're like, watch out right there. That, that's it. Uh, yeah. Watch out right there. Yeah. You know your way around. Then he writes, he is so kind. He is so forgiving. He is so loving. Let me ask you a question. Mercy and grace. Has that ever sounded like the same thing to you? It's mercy and grace. They're two very different things. Mercy is when God looks at you and forgives you of all that you've done. Grace 
is when he gives you the power and ability to do what you cannot do on your own. All too often, people look at their relationship with God the same way they look at a diet. I'm I'm not even going to start a diet because I've started a million of them and I know what I'm going to do. As soon as that chocolate cake comes by, I know what I'm going to do. So I'm not even going to start another diet because I always break them anyway. I'm not even going to start going back to church and I'm not even going to repent because I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to mess up all over again. This is when mercy and grace meet. God, I need your mercy to forgive me. And I need your grace to make me stronger. I need your grace to strengthen me. I vividly remember... And I, I wish my kids were not in the room right now, but I've, I've lived a transparent life before them, so it's okay. Um, I hope. But I vividly remember being in high school, raising up my window in the middle of the night and crawling out my window and going and acting like the devil. Coming home at three in the morning, raising up the window, stepping back in. Night after night after night. My father was a preacher. I know what you're thinking. It's always the preacher's kid. (laughs) My father was a preacher. I was raised in the church. Night after night, sneaking out the window. Night after night, coming back in. But do you know that every time I got home, every time I got home, I would squeeze my pillow as I laid on top of it with my face in the pillow. And I would say, God help me. If you don't change me, if you do not change me, I will do this for the rest of my life. And I will find my soul in hell if you do not change me. The next night, out the window, back out. Come back in. Dear God, help me. Help me, help me, help me. Some of you in this room would say, stop going out the window. (laughs) But sometimes the bait of Satan is too attractive to walk away from. Sometimes it's just hard to not talk about somebody. And rip them to pieces while they're not there. Sometimes what Job said in 31.1. I will make a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at any young woman. Sometimes the bait is just too attractive. I would put my face in my pillow. Dear God help. Help me, help me, help me. If you don't change me, I'll never change. You're going to have to do something. You put breath in my lungs, you can change my heart. Fast forward, 20, carry the one. I'm 43 now. Who would have ever guessed that that little rascal sneaking in and out of the window detests 
unholiness. Detest sin. Detest it. How can that happen? Someone greater than myself gave me mercy and grace. Is there anyone here thankful for the mercy and grace of God? Come on, put your hands together for that. You're thankful. You're thankful. What I love about the mercy of God is that it's for anyone. In Romans chapter 2 verse 11 it says, I do not have any favorites. And what I love about the grace of God is it has no boundaries. He gives Frankie the strength to not do what I once did. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought as a child. I reasoned as a child. Now, because, now that I'm a man, I've put away childish things. His grace can change a man. His grace can change a woman. Grace can change a marriage. But it doesn't stop at changing you. It doesn't stop at empowering you to stop doing sin. Grace is also the power to reach up and grab the hem of a garment and then whatever you touch experiences the power that you are connected to. And that's when you see deliverance and that's when you see healing and that's when you see So why don't we see any more healings? Don't get mad at God. You have to ask yourself, is there anyone grabbing that hem and hanging on to it and hanging on to those words? John 12, 14. Anyone who believes in me shall do the works that I have done. Anyone. Is there anyone here? You're anyone. The ball is in our court. Let's take a look at this testimony. I hope it builds your faith. Well, I came to this church a couple of Sundays ago. The pastor, after he finished the service, he 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 caught people with uh, pain in the fingers and in the arm. And I have this um, corporal tunnel. And uh, I have it for maybe um, a year, maybe. And then I went to do the, ex- the test. And yeah, the doctor said I have... Uh, 80% damage in my left arm. And uh, when, the, when the pastor asked people to come in, I went, I went. Because I'm a woman of faith. This is the only thing I have for real. And uh, my arm, it was burning for the whole time. My bone is like a split, and it's hurt like crazy. I started praying, I said, Father, heal me, heal my arm. Before, the, when the pastor came, I was already healed. <laughs> he just came and and confirm it to me. Pain is gone. I don't have, I used, uh, the doctor gave me a brace to wear in the night. Because he said, wear it because in the night, sometimes you move and your bones, it will hurt you. When I drive, my bone is really hurt. Really, when I drive far like that, and this time, you know, pain and nothing. Like I said, oh God, I don't want my, my wrist anymore. Like, <laughs> All of you stand to your feet for me, please. Our church is, is 16 years old. The first 13 years, 
I saw one undeniable miracle. One. We were doing a baby dedication and the mom looked up at me in front of the whole church in the middle of the dedication. She goes, my baby has a broken collarbone. Will you pray for it? And I'm like, well, now that you just put me on the spot, sure. I laid my hand on the collarbone. I said, in the name of Jesus, collarbone, go back to where you're supposed to be. First time in my life, the collarbone, I felt it move underneath my fingers. I freaked out. I, I freaked out. I didn't, I didn't tell the church because I, I, was, I was freaked out. After the church, after the service, I didn't even tell the mom what I felt. I said, when, you going, when are you going back to the doctor? She goes, tomorrow. Will you call me after that? She calls me back. To the, I said, oh, my goodness. One in 13 years. One. I sit down with Dr. Randy Clark and he makes me aware of this scripture in Romans chapter 1 verse 11. He says this, the Bible says this, I long to visit you so that I may impart a gift to you that will help you grow strong in the Lord. I spent time with him. He prayed over me, spent more time with him. Seven months later, all of a sudden, something cracked. It wasn't even in the room when it happened. And ever since then, every single service, we play a testimony of someone who was healed in the previous week or previous weeks, every Sunday. And then we go for healing again. And that process has been happening for three years. While I was sitting down watching that video, after I got done laughing because I never even prayed for her, sometimes the Lord reminds me he doesn't need me. I was sitting next to Dr. Rodney and I had this thought. In the same way that being around Dr. Randy had imparted healing into me, and incidentally, he told me, he goes, when you get back, make sure you pray for your prayer partners because it'll happen to them. It's like a chain. Really? Now you can't be a prayer partner unless there's that process where I get to pray for you. And wouldn't you know that there are more healings from the prayer partners than from me? Way more. But after Dr. Randy speaks, I believe that we will have more authority more authority over the demonic realm than we've ever had before. More authority. I'd like our prayer partners to come down, if you would. Whatever, I, I believe that if an angel could come down, if I could step off this stage, an angel could come down and stand right here, he would say this. Whatever you need. John 15 verse 7. It says this. Those who remain in me and my words remain in them. They shall receive whatever they ask for. I'm making the assumption 
that we're all mature enough to know that that doesn't include the lotto. I'll just, it doesn't include the selfish motivation. I just heard a prayer partner say, oh, I can stop praying now. (laughs) Whatever you need, it is as easy for God to do a miracle as it is for you to breathe. So whatever you need, people are already coming down. Go ahead, come on down. If you are unsure if your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, you know where you'd spend eternity. You're the most important person in this room if you do not know where you would spend eternity if your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes. You're the most important. I want you to come out of your seat right now as I'm talking and take the hand of a prayer partner and get your life right with the Lord. The Bible says that if you are ashamed of him in front of man, in front of others, he will be ashamed of you in front of the Father. So don't even wait. Come out of your seat right now. Every once in a while, the Lord will tell me who he wants me to pray for. And I I ask, is this person here? Is this person here? And if no one raises their hand, that means I was talking to myself. The Lord wasn't talking to me. And if you've gone to this church for any length of time, you've seen me do that on many occasions. And today might be another one. But if someone raises their hand and they let me pray for them, they come out of their seat and let me pray for them, the probability of them being healed It goes right through the roof because the Lord told me before the service started about you. Now, if you don't come out of your seat, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what happens. I'm not a part of that story. I don't know what happens. If you're courageous enough to come out of your seat, I'm not going to embarrass you. You just stand right here. And then when the service is over, I pray for you. That's it. But before the service started, I I was in my office and I, I grabbed a little sticky piece of paper. And I wrote down four things. And we're going to find out right now if I was talking to myself or if it, this is someone. A right knee that's constantly in pain. And it's, it almost clicks in and out of joint when you stand up. If that's you, just come down right now. Another person, is it you? The Lord's going to touch you probably before I pray for you because I can see that his hand is already on you. A person who has acid reflux and you wake up in the middle of the night because you've, you're choking. If that's you, come down. This rarely happens, but come on over here. You and you. Come over here. I'm going to pray for you. This rarely happens. In fact, this is the first time it's happened. Where the Lord told me in both services, I'm going to open up deaf ears. 
deaf ears is the number one thing that like if we were to take all the healings and put them in categories, there would be more tally marks in deaf ears than any other. I don't know what it is. Just it is what it is. And then this is interesting. I'm, I, I can't wait to find out if this was God. So far, the first three were accurate. By the way, the most courageous prayer you can pray, the most, I don't care what it is, is the prayer that you've prayed a thousand times and you choose to pray it a thousand and one. And we've seen more miracles happen when that happens than any other. But I wrote down someone wearing a blue shirt who has cancer. You're wearing a blue shirt right now and you have cancer. Now there may be people with blue a blue shirt on but you don't have cancer. Maybe people with cancer but you're not wearing a blue shirt. I just want to know if it's you. If you come up to me in the lobby and say that was me but you didn't want to come down. I'm going to give you a noogie. Somebody did that to me last week. Sometimes I can say there's somebody with a, a hat with a pink flower. And they'll come up to me after the service that I didn't want to come down. I'm like, come on. You got, you're the only one with the hat with a pink flower. Come on. So did I miss that one? I'm okay if I did. Blue shirt with can. Now, I'm learning before your eyes. I'm learning. I've only been trying this for about three years. So I'm learning. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9, we know in part and we prophesy in part. So in other words, part might be right and the other part might be wrong. If you, so it doesn't have to be a solid blue, okay? <laughs> doesn't have to be some royal blue like, like this, like, like, if you have blue in your shirt and you have cancer, then throw me a bone and let me pray for you, my God. Is it you? Thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. It's you and you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I came up here one time and I had this long list and it was for someone named Lisa. And everything on the list was accurate except her name was Lori. And I'm like, look, if everything is right except one thing, let me pray for you. Lori, Lisa, I'm a few letters off. My God, I'm learning. Let me pray for you. Let's give the Lord a standing ovation. Come on. Come on.